hello and welcome to Michael and Ivanka's Grand Podcast, our weekly search for meaning and conversation and self-growth. My name's Michael Forrest. And I'm Ivanka Magic. And that was a pretentious intro, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, well, your intro didn't get a laugh out of me this week. I, 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 I almost, I think there's, it's almost like, uh, I, maybe I need to get over this uh, need to get a little laugh every time I say something at the beginning. Maybe it's better not to have that little addiction. Um, Say something funny. It's not worth it. Maybe I should try again and try and come up with a funny one. It's, I think maybe just because we've done so many now, it's hard to surprise you anymore with these intros. Maybe. There we go. There maybe. we go. Maybe, maybe. maybe. Um, this week we're going to talk about space. Well, this week is a two-parter because we Michael <laughs> booked a stand. Well... Michael booked to stand at a conference uh, next Friday when we would usually record and has to do that next week. I am talking about myself in the third person for some reason. This is a rambly intro, isn't it? Well, what we get, have you got any... What do you want to talk about when it comes to space in part know. one? I've been th- really struggling to think about it. It's like space provides us with beautiful pictures of space, which are always very awe-inspiring. I have previously declared on this podcast how how terrifying I found the idea of space when I was very small. So to some point, to some extent, I've not engaged too much. There's things like space debris, <laughs> space. Okay. There's aliens. We could talk about aliens. We could talk about space travel. And the fact that that doesn't appeal to me either. Hmm. Um, so when it comes to space, I'm very conservative. Okay, space colonization, space uh, dominance, space dominance, mining, control, go, energy. There's all sorts of other things. And just the fact that we both know someone and have spent quite a lot of time with someone, you probably more than me, that had actually been to space. Yeah, so uh, I think that's space. we've got some second-hand tidbits. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, there's not many people who know somebody who's actually been spoken no. to somebody who's actually been into space. I and find it very exciting. I can see you with that cup of tea, that ready to sip. <laughs> Maybe... <laughs> Go. <laughs> Michael, how was your week? I am in the Sawback Club. Oh, no. I am, like, I'm having to adjust myself quite a lot. I think I tried to lift something in the gym too heavy on Monday. Just ever, just the last one. And it's, like, not the most I've ever lifted, so I thought I'd be fine. But I think I just hadn't slept well. And I don't know, it didn't feel... It just felt like my legs were really weak. But, yeah, then it was sort of, like, ate a bit on Tuesday. And on Wednesday morning, I seemed OK. But, like, yesterday afternoon, after sitting down all afternoon, it was like, ooh. And today was a real struggle to put my socks on. Oh, my God. So, um, you know, I, I, I hope it's not, like, any sort of permanent, lasting thing. I hope it's just, like, a bit of temporary bruising. I don't know how backs work, so I need to sort of... What, what do you think? Are you worried for me? Do you think I've done it? I thought it would be more of an immediate burst of pain if it was serious. Is that... No, not necessarily. Oh, bollocks. <laughs> However, if the pain is in your back rather than travelling down your legs, mm. that's a positive sign. OK, good. No, I haven't so got any of that. Actual, your actual back hurting is... Uh, Good. 
<laughs> okay. So I'm in the Bad Back Club. I got a couple. I got paid today. Woo! I don't feel quite as poor as I have done. Um, also, I just some thoughts about last week. Just one thing in defence of nerd rage. Just like the reason you get angry over little things as a nerd is because those little things do turn into really annoying, pointless, difficult, like time-consuming tasks down the line if they're not if they're not kept under control. So it's like, it's not completely irrational. It's like, you are doing, you, your incompetence is going to cause yeah. me future... I have seen how this movie ends and it's yeah. not pretty. And oh, I just don't, don't do this to me. So, so there is a reason for it. It's not entirely just, like, trivial. Um, like, naming is the most important thing when it comes to code, for example. So if people just call things... But you could just call something anything. So if you call things the wrong things, it's just impossible to read and feels but, sociopathic when you come across someone's code and it looks like that. So, Did you learn code independently of educational institutions? Yes. The only code I, I was taught was at, at university was Fortran, which was pretty worthless, really. And I'd already been doing... Yeah, it's, I've been programming since I was eight years old. Eight years a, old. You know, one of those IBM 086 PCs. And then I programmed on my Amiga in my teens. And then I learned C++. And then I... I, I, I programmed ever so slightly a little bit when I was about eight on a Dragon 32. Mm. <laughs> I used to write basic and then you record it to a tape. And you yeah, play yeah. it back off the tape. <laughs> and, you know, do... Almost nothing. <laughs> well, you used something to, on the screen and go, woo! <laughs> well, you used to get little games by, they'd be in a magazine and you'd type them into your ZX81 and then that would be your game. So you'd have to, but you'd have to sort of type it in. Uh, but that was a different time. So let's not do a nostalgia bullshit episode there. <laughs> um, oh, can you imagine the computer that took up the entire room was now less than your phone? Yeah, I, I just, and how many megabytes? Oh, that's so interesting to talk about that again. <laughs> wow, technology is really... Have you seen the size of sellotapes now? Much smaller. <laughs> that's a Harry Hill joke. Um, Very good. Oh, yeah. No, but I learned most of my uh, web development early... I saw you an alien. Oh, look at that little alien. Um, tune into the webcams to see the little alien that Ivanka just drew. You can't. Um, maybe that's what we can offer as a Patreon. Well, maybe. Like, well, I think like maybe like a, some bonus, like, you know, because people always say they want to kind of join in, don't they? So they do, that's the Maybe thing. we could have like, that could be our bonus thing, just talk to the people, <laughs> bring them in. <laughs> Not for the actual record. Anyway, no, I was just going to say, a lot of my uh, web development te early tech skills were developed either um, when I sort of automated most of my job in local government and had lots of time spare, so I got my friends to... I set up all my friends' blogs and stuff for them so that they could, uh, on, a, on a website, and um, learn all that initial... That's where I did my early inline SQL code-style uh, web development. Which I anyway, this is. I think we might be really nerdy. No, what do you mean? What do you mean? There's nothing nerdy about that. <laughs> like, just alienated half audience. See, uh, I, I don't like this thing of like, oh, I'm not allowed to talk about technical stuff because it's boring. It's not, I wasn't but, meaning it was boring. No, no, I mean, no, no, just, just speaking foreign. Because the next story should, I was yeah. going to tell is I helped someone automate timetabling for. Like PE classes, that was one of my little projects I did, just sort of on the side. But mm -hmm. I did it in a... Because I had all the data in a spreadsheet, so I kind of did it all using macros. Mm. That was a bit of a... Well, that, but the spreadsheets are really programming for people that don't want to feel like they're programming. 
So yeah. it's sort of like always a bit of a roundabout way of doing it, but um, yeah. Well, it was more in this instance, it was more so that I could kind of set up some things and then they could fiddle. Mm. Yeah, that's what software is. But, <laughs> true, true. I think I was trying to, I was like, oh, I'll just do this quickly for you in Excel and then it just took long. Anyway. Um, I, I've <laughs> fe- been feeling a bit guilty about my, I don't know, like when I say all this feminist stuff, sometimes I'm like, well, if someone like calls me out on my earlier lack of feminism and then I feel bad. Yes, like I, I'm sort of like I, this is me now, but like then I'm like, well, maybe I maybe I would have been glad at in the past. Maybe I'm not, you know. I don't want to like. I just wanted to say, you know, I this is my true beliefs, but I, I don't think I'm a hypocrite for not always having understood these things. No, I don't think so, I don't think that's a. I mean, we spoke about we've spoken about redemption and people learning and change. I mean, what I wouldn't even stuff that I might have done out of ignorance or. I don't know, insecurity when I was younger. That's, I mean, but the point is to 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 learn and change. I mean, it, the only thing to be embarrassed about is if you keep doing the same stupid things and just get more angry about people calling you out on them or mm. without changing. That's the things to be embarrassed about. Not this uh, not bad going... back I've got is probably worse than the pain of childbirth. <laughs> <laughs> you are funny. Just <laughs> relentlessly funny. <laughs> Okay. Also, I, Christian I, sent me a link say that apparently the Banksy thing was supposed to shred the whole yeah, lot. Yeah, I saw yeah, that. So, yeah, there you go. So actually, okay, fine. He, uh, you know, very convenient. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> it would have been a stronger sort of statement. Mm. Anyway, <laughs> my week was. So I've done my usual thing of not taking notes. However, I did do that mentoring thing on Saturday for Think Nation, which right. was uh, Think Nation. You should look it up, especially if you've got uh, some time and energy and you're a technical person or if you're a young person who would be interested in joining in with something like that. So anyway, the idea is to tackle big problems, get some people in from sort of 14 to 24, 25 uh, and put them together with some mentors, and then you have a whole day, which is basically like a design workshop. Was that the thing that we had? That we shared that video about where the people was that the same? Where the thing? young children were talking about being poor, like what life is like when you're yeah. poor. Yeah, right. So okay. they they do various like the way Lizzie Hodgson has set it up. Picks there are various topics that get chosen and various projects. So it's not one topic and then keep running with it. It is so that she's done, she's run days with things like young people debating and talking about sort of like immortality, for example. That was one of the topics or, you know, should we be going into space or whatever. So they always try big topics. She's run it in New York, London, various other cities, as far as I know. She is from Brighton. Think Nation is based in Brighton. This is the first Brighton event she's done. And we had topics of beach pollution, housing, home, uh, homelessness. So, and my, my gang were the beach cleanup gang. But what impressed me was that, so we had a group of six or seven young people. And they were, they were so into it and they did so well. And I had that whole day of feeling responsible for, you know, making sure that they got something at the end so that they were left motivated rather than mm. feeling like, you know, that I wanted them to succeed, whatever the definition of success is. And I was it was it was a very sort of sitting at the end of it, watching them present. I was like, 
that's my that's my group mm-hmm. <laughs> i absolutely would do it again and i felt like it was a very good way to spend the day so what what were you mentoring them in Basically, you, they look. They've got to use technology to solve a big problem. Mm. So they came up with a. So they come up with an ideas, and you're helping them develop the idea to a point where they could kind of pitch it. We had two, three, fourteen-year-olds. A couple of you know, there's there. What I did learn as well is that they will be reminded of perhaps rather than learn was that you, when you're only fourteen, there's only only so many things you've seen and done. Mm. <laughs> so you know, part of your role as as mentor is they mention something, you go. Have you seen this video on YouTube of this technology or have you heard of this thing that people did in this other place? So going in there with sort of like breadth of knowledge or examples yourself Mm. is quite useful. Wisdom. Wisdom. I don't know if that's wisdom or experience, you know, just things, the memory. Um, So one of their ideas was (laughs) robot based. So I found them a video of some robots and then they've uh, they just they came up with. but so they had this crazy robot idea and then they had what I thought was a bit, I was like, mm, that's not very adventurous, kind of a bin vending machine combo thing. And, uh, but actually, so I kind of made them defend it to me. Right. So I was like, robots are really cool. Let's do robots. Why aren't we doing robots? And they were like, yeah, but robots freak people out. And nobody wants robots. And I was like, oh. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. but what about, so they had to, so we, we actually picked out some values of like things we could measure our two ideas against. And so by the, you know, they, I, it wasn't like convince me, but it was a bit, convi- you know, I kind of gave them tools to, mm. to, yeah. to, to question their ideas, but they did, it was, it was, it was brilliant. They were brilliant. That's good. And I was very, very happy to have been and they were nice kids and I because I don't think of myself as a grown-up particularly but <laughs> well. then you know because if you're 14 and your mentor's 44 they're a grown-up yeah. <laughs> so it's like so like going up to them and they you know they, their mums came to pick them up at the end and thing. I was like oh you must be so proud you've done an excellent job with young junior here and one of them was so uh, like so earnest he's got so driven to be an engineer he wants to be an engineer he wants to get into imperial he's got this picture in his head mm-hmm. of these things that he needs to do to get there i need to go and speak mm-hmm. at events i need to do these things involved in projects and it was just like it, it certainly wasn't motivating them to work it was more sort of helping direct them rather yeah. than so i wasn't sitting there going right let's get stuck in it what you, that wasn't necessary at all yeah. it was Let's spend this energy you've got on these activities because that might get you where you need to go. Let's talk about the People's Vote March. Let's talk about space. 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 It's, I mean, it's quite a vague word, really. <laughs> it could mean anything. Space is just anything. Um, I, I assume we're talking we did about outside of the planet. Outside the Earth's what? atmosphere. Yeah, it's, it's funny that guy that did that spa- jump from space, but it, didn't, it wasn't quite space, was it? It was like high atmosphere doesn't really count what's the distance <laughs> where is the boundary between earth and space 
That is one for Wikipedia, not for this podcast, where we do not truck in facts, merely vaguely remembered <laughs> anecdotes. Yes. Um, You've got to be outside the bit where the parts of the rockets burn on re-entry, surely, for it to be okay. space. Okay. You know, when you watch the movies and they think, and they come in towards planet. I'm doing yeah. a reenactments with a pen okay. another one for the bonus video <laughs> <laughs> and so it's got to be outside of there for, to it, for it to be space right okay so the, bur- that's the burn up line <laughs> that's agreed um do you 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 don't want to go to space do you no why not I, it's the same way as i don't want to go deep underwater okay <laughs> like i can't live there <laughs> mm. so no the the analogy I have, we were on a Croatian island waiting for a ferry and we thought, oh, let's just pop our goggles on and go for a little swim. And because it was basically in a part of the sea where it was deep enough for a very big ferry to port, it was really deep. <laughs> I got mm. in the water. I love swimming underwater and I keep. I don't often use goggles anyway. I'm quite happy keeping my eyes open. Mm. But I dove down and I was like, Oh, it's so deep, and my my I literally started kind of going because <gasps> my my, my uh, I don't know what that is, what part of you that is that just goes run away quickly. <laughs> so I had to sort of have you know, and Nick does a lot of um, free diving practice because he had a go at spear fishing at one point, went on a course, so he can really dive down really deep. So I just saw this mm. tiny little husband. <laughs> Sort of like meters below me, where I was like, <gasps> so yeah. I had to swim out to the surface, take some deep breaths, take a moment, and then I could swim there. But I mean, I cannot imagine me not having a massive panic attack if I went <laughs> into space. Like, well, maybe I just haven't put myself in a situation where I where I know what that would feel like. But but then I, mm. I'm able to get on an aeroplane, and if I if you overthink aeroplanes, that's that could make you feel a little bit itchy and sweaty i think the thing with that sort of thing it's sort of like well there's nothing you're going to be able to do about it so there's really no point worrying about it is there you just got to kind no. of go well you know there's also thing when you when you get on an airplane you have no real set like you're not affected you you know yeah okay you might get a bit of turbulence uh there's mm. the bit where you take off um but that's not kind of it's the landing that is the bit for me i'm like this is where it's going to go wrong <laughs> go wrong <laughs> but, but what i mean is like the actual experience of it, you don't don any special gear you don't no. you know you're not tied into like some crazy anti g force chair thing yeah. you know you're just in a norm, reasonably normal chair with a very pathetic seatbelt mm. um so but i think I think if they advanced space travel to the point where it was like getting on an aeroplane, then perhaps I'd be less freaked out about it. But then the thing is, when you get to the destination, you've got to, you know, well, if they can recreate some sort of world that helps me con my brain into thinking that I am, I can survive there. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, I think like, I, I am terrified of the my my one is getting trapped in like like caving, but that's a different thing. But I think like underwater, underwater gets the pressure gets really high, doesn't it? So it's mm. quite hard to get very far. Yeah. But I, I don't know. Yeah, space just like yeah, there's no way of doing any of it without like a lot of equipment and a lot um, of vehicles and technology to sort of get you up there. And plus, when mm. Mark Shuttleworth to- tells his story, which he tells very well. I think the way he tells it shows that he appreciates 
greatly that he is in a unique and privileged situation, the fact that he's been into space. Mm. So the way he tells the story, though, it's not like... It's not a pleasant experience getting Mm. into space or even being in space. Like it's, you know, you have to be fit and healthy. You have to be able to kind of survive the travel. Mm. Um, He had some, uh, well, some little kind of like anecdotes of his things like the the chair thing that spins you around and makes you sick. The vomit chair. (laughs) It was like it it was it was not that practicing being spun around would make you less prone to vomiting. It was more about your reaction to the inevitable vomiting that you were training. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's like, exactly that. <laughs> it's like, you know, so, yeah. Uh, but reading between the lines of Mark Shuttleworth's talk, I got the impression, uh, the main, his main impression of space, apart from the beautiful, like, what, 23 sunsets a day that you get to see from space. Some of those are starting to come through on the Apple TV now. There's some very beautiful new kind of, like, slow-moving, like, um, aerial photography of the Earth. But I just got the impression that, space kind of smells of farts <laughs> I did I the thing that I remembered was the vomit chair and I had no impression of that bit I think it's just like you're in a very confined space the toilet's right there he kept mentioning the toilet when he was talking about it and I think you're, you're in certainly for you know as a cosmonaut an early pioneer of space you're in a very confined space and the toilet's just right there and it's uh, it's there's no getting around the fact, and no, you can't open a window. <laughs> you know, it's you're very much trapped in there with what, with whatever happens. <laughs> Do you know that just reminds me? Um, Otto sent me a he saw some film which he recommended me because the protagonist was an astronaut called Michael Forrest. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> um, which uh, and but this was this this astronaut that. This space traveller, but I think the conceit was that that his ship was recycled into the sort of blue food that he'd eat. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> anyway, it just seems it seems like there's no brushing any like bodily functions out the way once you're in a very small confined place that you can't open any windows. So I was like, well, maybe it wouldn't be that cool. <laughs> but then, um, yeah, no, it's it's it. Yeah, it sounded pretty sort of spectacular if you're kind of up there orbiting around in the space station. And um, but yeah, and his his story of um, seeing the, an astronaut was having trouble with his laptop, and he just went and realised that he just his hard drive was full, and he just needed to delete some stuff. So like I'd end up being tech support, <laughs> tech support in space. <laughs> even though, even tech support with finding it more difficult to actually. St- Touch the keyboard. keyboard. (laughs) I would be tech support. I would end up inevitably helping someone fix their website. (laughs) Wherever I go, it just happens. Uh, If it's the Sahara Desert, I'm like logging into someone's WordPress on some horrible slow connection, trying to like fix some stuff up for them. It's like, why, why am I cursed with these? So the reality of current space travel. So it sounds it sounds, you know, like a lot of work, very expensive, very confined. But um I suppose the next step is, you know, Virgin Galactic and uh whatever Elon Musk is doing. Um have you have you what do you think? I wonder if they'll make that feel a bit more. I always imagined um I always thought maybe Steve Jobs was saving up for a nice, like, Apple-style space rocket to just get a really, like, luxurious 
sort of everything's really nice and like space travel experience but then he died so that's probably not yeah i was thinking about that because most of the people that can afford to pay for themselves to go into space are used to a certain level of comfort when traveling (laughs) (laughs) and doing anything really so i don't know how you know it's all i suppose this is this is like a billionaire's equivalent of like a backpacking holiday isn't it (laughs) Yeah, they've really got to rough it. Yeah. <laughs> like, be really strapped in, can't drink champagne. You've got to talk to people who don't even have one Rolex. <laughs> right, but, but the thing about space... Right, what's the thing about And this is the thing, it's... And to quote The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, it's big. It's really it's big. Really big. Stuff, even the moon is unimaginably far away. If you like, I first I internalized this for myself by playing this game on um, a computer game called Frontier back uh, in the 90s, where you could just sort of like move at realistic speeds through the solar system. And I just sort of took off from Earth and it was all to scale. So I sort of took off from Earth to just fly to the moon. It was like, this takes ages. (laughs) Takes absolutely ages. Or not even realistic speeds necessarily, like sort of like almost light speed. You're still like, my God, this takes. And then to get to like, you know, Mars, you know, it's going and going and going and going. And it's like, okay, I'm one planet out. And then you're like, to get to the next one, my vole eats mouldy jam sandwiches under Newcastle Pier. Except not Pier anymore. That's the planet. Um, <laughs> my vole? Uh, yeah, I don't know why. Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, um, eats mouldy jam. Jupiter. Is it Jupiter already after Mars? Well, according like to your remembered sandwich, <laughs> Mars, Saturn, Uranus, and then the controversial Plutos. But yeah, like by the time you're out to the edge, it's like this is just nuts. And then the fact that now, like it's a few light minutes to the edge of the solar system, it's like four light years to the nearest star. So that's traveling at a speed that it is impossible to travel, it would take you for... Like, so it's not going to take you any less than... Like, without defying the laws of physics, it's going to be, I don't know, decades to get to even the nearest star, which there's nothing special about that. And then the next one is way, way further. And it's just... The idea of moving between planets is just absolutely... You know, you'd, it would be a kind of gen, multi-generation voyage, even with transportation that kind of like pushes the boundaries of the laws of physics. And if this if, if this isn't something that people have internalized, like as you get faster and faster to the speed of light, that the thing that Einstein figured out was the speed of light doesn't change, which means that if you get faster and faster and faster for the speed of light not to then change relative to how you're moving, space has to start stretching out and time has to start dilating in order for that speed of light to remain constant. So, like, as you get faster and faster, and, like, so just when you see Futurama or something and they kind of have a, you know, everything sort of bends and sort of warps out when it, that's how it would look, you'd see stuff just go, you know, as it got faster and faster because that that speed of light thing cannot be changed so, yeah, like just even getting to the nearest place would be, you know, you'd have to really like, OK, this is going to be my grandchildren maybe might get somewhere. My maybe my, you know, a couple of few generations before you're actually going to sort of make contact with 
you know, actually land anywhere, probably. Space is so hard to understand, I think, mm. or to picture and internalise and have those... Because it's... It is unimaginable. You've used words like unimaginable. And mm. Because there's most of everything we do is based around what we already know about our own world and our own lives. That's an indicator to me in my Luddite approach to space that we, you know, there's only so much messing around in space that we can do because if we can't even picture it in our heads, Mm -hmm. then it's probably got no business being there. favorite rob shrub on harman town he's going uh, they start talking about his space and he's like why don't they ever go down why don't they go down (laughs) they always go across why don't we ever go down we always go round and like loop around the planets and stuff but why don't we just go down (laughs) see what's down there (laughs) good good question question. What is down there, Michael? <laughs> Probably the devil <laughs> underneath. <laughs> we just didn't and look down. I... <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's unimaginable. And then, yeah, so when you start talking about extraterrestrial intelligence, there's absolutely no reason not to think that it's not all over the place. But no. unfortunately, what all over the place means still means incomprehensibly far away. Yeah. And also when you start bringing in the movement of time, the passage of time, it's sort of like, well... And this is this is a thing that I think the most frequently misrepresented in science fiction, even stuff that does otherwise, like, at least kind of pay lip service to, oh, we're going to use a, we're going to use a wormhole, we're going to, you know, fold the fabric of space-time and go for, you know, all the kind of try all that stuff. But the, what they'll often miss, and probably Interstellar is the only film where they've actually made this a plot point, is the time dilation thing and that there's always this idea that, oh, I can be in another star system and communicating with someone in a different star system the idea that there's some sort of idea of things, events happening at the same time. It's time. I mean, but honestly, yeah, I struggle with time zones <laughs> <laughs> on this planet. It's just like I know, I know it, but I just find it just weird that yeah. you know it's night time there and it's daytime here and it's the same time and I'm looking out my window and it's light and then dark and I know why it all happens and everything it's not it's not that kind of thing but that's abstract yeah yeah that's, never it's mind abstract, bloody communicating with another star system yeah and, and so when you look out when you look <laughs> imagine, into space imagine booking a meeting say, there <laughs> like, but, but but this is the thing about relativity you look into space and people say that's the light 
from that star is 100 light years away. Therefore, that is we are looking 100 years back in time, which on one level is very much true. So as, as you look further and further away, you're looking further and further back in time if relative if time worked the way we sort of think about it but light like this like light speed is the speed of information is the maximum speed that a thing can know about another thing in the universe a couple of sort of quantum entanglement ideas notwithstanding and uh, there's occasionally there's like a an article that says maybe this but then yeah. you know imagine I, I seen at this point imagine brian cox making some sort of like yeah yeah mancunian yes but have you considered this other thing that's the other thing so let's imagine that interlude but in the meantime well, go back to your uh, yeah, explanation so i think like really well, you've got to sort of understand the basics before you start thinking of you know convenient workarounds um but really in a very real sense that is now so even though it took a thousand years to get to us, to all intents and purposes, basically, if you understand the laws of physics, that is now in our frame of reference because there is only the frame of reference you're coming from. And there's no... It's everything we're seeing that has just got to us is the present in the only way that that word has any meaning because time will change before that speed of information will change. So... That is now. So if you see something over there, I feel I felt like I could explain this idea. Um, why do you why do you need to explain the idea? I don't know. I just think it's the thing that. But what it? I mean, the point of this is, it. This means that the idea that something is happening at the same time in two different galaxies, but then they're sort of, if they were to communicate that event and it took a thousand years to get to us and then to communicate that it would take a thousand years for the light to get back there it means that now is the time that the light got to us not that the time it, it was sent yeah right so so basically it can't happen in any meaningful way <laughs> considering the lifespan of human beings yeah, well, so, yeah, so that distant communication. So um, what we first need to achieve is the immortality that you seek. <laughs> well, or, <laughs> I don't know. we can have very long, drawn-out conversation. It brings a whole new meaning to the word snail mail. There is no getting around the fact that we are stuck here. And even if we pick up an alien signal, if it takes us 10,000 years to get there or a million years to get there, then I guess, I mean, maybe this is a slightly different point, but we, we may end up just missing the boat <laughs> by the time we got there. So, like, the aliens would have to find us um, or we'd have to find them. But the thing is, like, if you, you go to space and you travel across large distances, forget, you, you know, you're, that's, even if you just, like, in the solar system kind of went at high speeds, it's like, OK, well, there's, that's my family and friends all dead. 
right? Like straight away, like forget about any kind of like familiarity or family or friends or like community anymore. Only the people that come with you that stay in your frame of reference are going to be with you. And everyone else is like, forget about it. It's just, you know. Everyone goes on about space being, it's not, time is the thing that complicates the comprehension of space. Right. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I can understand a unit of light traveling that are, yeah, okay, because it's constant, easy, you know, it's, that's what it does. And I can, I can watch it in my head, but time bending and warping. And that's the thing where, because in our real lives, time is like one minute, next minute, the minute after that in our lives, time is very measurable. Mm. Well, um, in our world, like for us in our day to day, what time is it? It's this time. And what time will it be then? And there's, that doesn't, you know, there's, there's a bit of messing around. But with, did you know? Did I know? But did you know? Have I said this one before? The um, GPS doesn't work without time dilation and space dilation. Space, you know, you have not taken. said this before. So, so I this is one remembered. of Einstein's feelings that seems all very academic and irrelevant to our daily lives. You can't calculate the the coordinates of someone on Earth from the space satellites without taking into account the fact that the clocks will be moving differently on those different things and on our phones. So you have to correct for that. Becca <laughs> <laughs> made a mind blown thing. Like this shit is real. Like it's yeah, it's this it's, shit it's is not real, ver- people. Space is mind blowing. <laughs> space is big. It's well big. It's very large. And I would yeah, I would recommend just like flying through a vir- in a virtual spaceship in some sort of... I'm sure there's stuff on the internet now that you could sort of have this experience, say, just sort of fly through. you've got a YouTube video to recommend on this topic. I hope not. Not really. For my uh, university, I did physics at University of Warwick. I I did a third-year project. I wanted to do nanotechnology. That was what I was in it for. But someone else picked nanotechnology. So I was like, OK, well, I'm going to do space colonisation. <laughs> Obviously. OK, we're going to do tiny nanotechnology. Space colonisation. Well, yeah, so I did quite a lot of research into the, the space colonisation and, and sort of different concepts of that throughout the decades. Travelling there is one thing, but, you know... Space colonisation really means near-Earth orbits, maybe the Moon, maybe Mars. This is what we're looking at as the human race. I think once you start getting any further than that, you end up with a sort of wall style kind of decades, ocean liner kind of thing, just flying out to infinity forever. And I think that, you know, that's, that's, that's with the tools to potentially terraform or populate some planet that you happen to come across in the future, in some future generation, but really you're just kind of committed to that. But there's nothing to say we couldn't sort of set up some stuff nearby. There's a lot of natural resources in this asteroid belt, which is just on the other side of Mars, and there are... Like, but even that. But the thing is, once you're out of the Earth's atmosphere, that's the tricky bit. Then it becomes a lot easier to move around. It's, it's only when you have that, when you start getting really close to a large body, that you're sort of suddenly the energy gets a lot. But one of the first things that I learnt in my sort of research onto this was that there are points around the Earth called Lagrange points, where if you put something there, it will stay there. 
because of the way the moon and the Earth's gravity interact. Maybe the sun oh, okay. as well, but I think it's the moon and the Earth. So um, you could. So the idea was like maybe we set up some stuff. Those, so they're further away. So the, so the International Space Station is barely in space by that standard, right? That's barely kind of outside the atmosphere. But these would be sort of like in these sort of strategic locations where gravity happens to... There's a little gravity well, I think, where that just happens to be formed. And then you, you basically try and... Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the game Halo, which exists on this sort of ring... Spinning, slowly spinning is it like ring. On a halo. <laughs> it's well, it's kind of a halo shape, but on the inside of it is, you know, it's like uh, fields and you know, so it's all like um, earthy looking fields and rivers and crops and you know cities. Okay. No, I've never like seen towns. The I mean, uh, I've so heard of it. Uh, as a frame of reference, it's it's barely kind of made clear that that's where you are, but it sort of feels like Earth. Something like that could feel like Earth. Kind of, unless you look sort of sideways, you're like, oh, okay, the sky is weird. And um, well, because and when you look up, you'd see the other inside of the ring. So um, obviously, it need to be completely contained. But you could have a sort of self-sustaining atmosphere in there if you sort of brought plants and brought you know things like that. Because the real the thing is gravity. You um, I, this is turning into another me explaining loads of stuff for ages. I need to That's please right. be aggressive thinking. with interjections. Well, um, I'd like <laughs> to take you back. Was it a terraform? Yeah. Yeah. That terraform means what? Form some earth. Just like smash, basically turn, change a kind of an uninhabitable environment into something that's more earthy, earth-like, so you can create an atmosphere by blowing stuff up and planting. I imagine that's what it meant, but I thought... uh, so, I don't know what uh, the practical process of that is supposed to be. I I think in a film it would be, oh, just fire a big bomb into it. I'm sure it involves some composting. Well, yeah, I mean, but it's, it seems like something that probably in real terms would take decades, if not hundreds of years to maybe thousands. I don't know, to actually do in real life. I'm not sure. You need to sort of kickstart an ecosystem, basically. Yeah. Um, a whole well, environment. This is, at this point, perhaps we need to uh, call God or someone in because he's done it before. Find out how he did it. Good one. <laughs> Anthropomorphization <laughs> of chemical and biological processes but it brings a whole I mean, new the, meaning like, to like gmo stuff and like because there's no way you know you'd have to all the science that we're messing about with now on here on the mm. original planet earth would have to come into play surely yeah like and, and to be honest like maybe if we could like turn a barren wasteland back into a habitable environment somewhere else then presumably that means we could do the same for ourselves as well so clearly we're a long way off solving this well maybe we'll get some practice in once the climate has broken down yeah we're gonna have to start to figure (laughs) out how to rescue already a lot of ideas (laughs) this is actually the undercurrent of our podcast is always Mm. climate change and uh, feminism anyway there i mean they are a lot of gmo work is looking into things like making crops more drought resistant mm. or and things like that so you know it stands to reason that the better we get at that the more chance we've got of forming a new ecosystem but once we get better at that we could probably have a better ecosystem here which would then eliminate the need for space travel which is one of the advantages one of the things the benefits of space exploration and the, the clever science people who spend time thinking about it is generally, as I understand it, the fact that we here on Earth tend to benefit from the advances that they make in engineering and science in order to do their spacey things. Yes. True or false? Is, this is a thing. This is a thing. But um, 
It's like yeah, a big yeah. like lab. We kind of learn stuff. We, you know, it's, well, it's just you change one of the variables and you find out some stuff. And yeah, so yeah. the space station is, you learn things. But one of the, the attractions to me of space was always zero gravity. So, you know, I kind of want to go and float around and see what it's like to be able to just kind of like. Well, yeah, I mean, go we, in we did a things. walk to nursery yesterday pretending yeah. we were on the moon. Okay. <laughs> but then actually, I brought it up because. So my my child's very good at walking places, but sometimes she's like, oh, don't want to walk. Can you carry me? And we're mm. like, let's walk. Like, so I invent new things that we should do. To her. But then I was I should I had to sort of say that I was trying to explain gravity mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, really simplistically. I'm not sure how well I did, but I, I was trying to explain that when you're on the moon, because there's nothing to. I don't know how I what I how I phrased it. You're not it. as heavy on the moon. You're not as, as heavy. Oh, I didn't actually use that. Oh, anyway, I made it too complicated. You In have any the same case, we, mass. But a different weight. <laughs> so I, so yeah, we bounced our way up the road, pretending. What we were about in films like sci-fi films where people are sort of trying to like pretend they're walking on the moon? Oh, I'm just, oh, I'm gonna play. Golf. That's what we did. <laughs> Two thousand and one, actually, a space odyssey. They did all those scenes traveling to space. They, they, um, they have a scene with a pen floating sort of above the seat of the passenger in the plane, and that was done by they got a big piece of glass. They stuck a pen to it and then they just sort of slowly rotated oh, the really? piece of glass to sort of make the pen look like it was floating. All sorts Brilliant. of clever things. And then they have the rotating sort of space station where he's running around. So they had they built that whole thing so it would like rotate and he'd run around it. But this is the thing. If you, if you haven't got a large mass to create gravity, you have to sort of spin a thing around and then when you're on the inside of it, you'll stick to the outside of it. And that's, you know, that's when, uh, coming back to that halo thing, coming back to that sort of Lagrange colonisation, that's that's sort of how you do it. So you, you've got the choice of colonising space like that, which is in some ways easier than giving the moon an atmosphere, which you'd have to do to colonise that. But, but, you know, it would take longer. But in the meantime, we could probably, you know, sort of have fields, have, you know, farm animals, have, you know, a whole ecosystem. I always worry that I would might get a bit bored in a community like that, not being able to pursue the more idiosyncratic elements of my artistic output, like not being able to make weird music anymore, because everyone wants sort of like... I think it'd be nice, though, to be in that small community again, be be able to be the best at something somewhere. <laughs> Which, no, this is, this is something like psychologically, it, historically, whoever you were, you were the best at something. Well, that's that true. Knew. Like uh, even whatever it was, so if, it could be stupid, but like, I, you know, none of us gets to feel that, and we used to all get to feel it. So it's almost like if we kind of broke away and did, it, at least we could sort of find our self-esteem and be the best at something in a much smaller, you know, environment. So maybe it wouldn't be so bad just sort of leaving all this stuff behind. So this is not a vein of thought that I've ever tapped. Mm. I have to say, I've never mm. really thought about it like that. There's also this idea that I think humans have where it doesn't really matter if we mess up because science and engineering will save us. Mm. Well, you know, we'll just screw this planet. We'll just go and make another one somewhere else. We'll move somewhere else. And I think 
there there is that is one of the negative because I don't think people comprehend how hard it would be and how far away it is. <laughs> Like far off in time, in our time that we measure with a watch time. Yeah, but it also it comes, yeah, it would just be, you could fix it maybe afterwards, but it's like Sharon rinses glasses and stuff, rinses stuff before putting it in the dishwasher. And I was like, well, that's the, what the dishwasher's for. Let the technology deal with it. Um, but then what I have subsequently internalised is, yeah, OK, but then it's going to block up sooner, which... I was like, oh, well, you just spend some money, it's fine. But it's actually like, oh, then I've got to get uh, someone to fix it in and it's going to be my morning. It's going to be really inconvenient. And if you sort of think, OK, you could just kind of like do the damage and then repair it, but it's just like more work and it's going to be annoying. So why not just kind of prevent the problem in the first place? OK, I'll rinse my glasses. But I want to explore this whole idea. Um, but I also want to make that the next episode. Okay. So tune in next week because um, we we're, we're going to talk about the heat death of the universe. Ugh. Thanks for listening to part one of Space. If you like the podcast, you can go to grandpodcast.com where you can email us hello at grandpodcast.com uh, where can people find you Ivanka people can find me at Ivanka on Twitter and they can find me at michaelforestmusic.com in case it wasn't clear all the music in this I made anything else anyone can do oh you could definitely write us a review and I have noticed a new review appearing on iTunes, Apple podcast things recently from somebody who I have I've worked out who it is. So hmm. thanks, Matt, <laughs> for writing a review. <laughs> <laughs> See, if you write a review, you get personally thanked on the podcast. Personal thanks. <laughs> That's exactly. what's going to happen. Hey, you don't have to help us if you don't want to, but you know we're doing this. We've got no ads. I don't know if you noticed that we haven't got any. Uh, we don't suddenly start telling you about your home security or Squarespace <laughs> ever. That must be a nice refreshing change for podcasts. And also it's got some music in it as well. So, you know, and we, we don't necessarily have, you know, I don't, we haven't been asked, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> but I've, I've got, I think we would, we would probably think twice before accepting advertisers. But I don't know, you know, enjoy it while it's, get it while it's hot. Yes, too. Podcast without loads of intrusive adverts is a rare thing these days. And we might try and like boost up the Patreon again. Like my aunt sent a very nice review. Thanks, Annette. She did. Um, and sort of said she felt guilty about having so much content for free. I was like, well, maybe people should feel guilty about this. <laughs> yes. Is there a way we can support you? I can support you. Okay, yeah, but like, uh, hopefully more people will start asking that and we can start to feel a bit more comfortable. I hate that conversation. So, can I have some money, please? Why? Because I wanted to express myself. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. Thank bye. you. Bye. Bye, 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 bye. Bye.